0: Romans four thirteen through 25. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, He believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God and hearing of his word to us this morning. Well, today we are going to conclude this section of Romans that has been explaining the gospel to us. From chapter the middle of chapter 3 all the way through chapter 4, Paul has been giving us uh, an explanation of the gospel. Now, when we get to chapter 5, Lord willing, next week, Uh, Paul will begin to explain some of the implications of the gospel to our lives. But as we conclude chapter 4 today, I want us to see three points concerning faith. And it sums up what we've been saying over the last couple of weeks. First, we see faith's necessity, then faith's practice, and finally faith's object. And it's a great Passage to look at today as we come to the Lord's table. So three quick points as we prepare our hearts to come before the Lord in his table. Well first we see here the necessity of faith and it's what Paul's been arguing all along. In the latter part of chapter 3 and in chapter 4 Paul has been showing us that a person can only be justified by God through faith, not by works not by religious ceremonies, not by church attendance, not by morality, not by following the law. If you would be accepted as righteous by God, it must be through faith. Paul reiterates this over and over, and he says in verse 13, the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Not through the law why why can't righteousness be credited to us by keeping the law well it should be an obvious answer to you especially if you've read chapter 3 the first part of chapter 3 well the reason why we can't be declared righteous by credit by by keeping the law is because it's impossible for us to keep the law It's impossible for us to keep the law. No one is righteous. No, not one, Paul points out in the early part of chapter 3. The only thing that you get from the law is condemnation. When you put yourself up against the law, you automatically see how far short you fall. It cannot save you. And that's what Paul means in verse 15. The law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. See, the law does not bring acceptance with God. Rather, it brings the wrath of God because you cannot keep it. People who claim that you can be justified by your works by keeping the law underestimate human sinfulness and overestimate the power of the law. The stain of sin is much deeper and more pervasive in your life than you can even imagine. And it is beyond the power of the law to cleanse you. You cannot perfectly keep it. You've already broken it. And so trying to be justified by keeping the law is futile. You cannot keep the law. What can wash away my sin? We sing sometimes. What can wash away my sin? Can my good deeds? Can my religious Practices erase my sin. No, nothing but the blood of Jesus, as the hymn writer said. Now, the second reason why it's necessary, uh, faith is necessary, is not only because you can't keep the law, but also because salvation is a gift. Paul explains this: if it were if it were uh, by keeping the law that you could be justified then you would have earned it. You would have deserved it. It would be your payment, your wage for checking all the boxes. God would be obligated to accept you. And that would eliminate the need for a promise from God and the need for faith in the promise. And he's going back to Abraham to demonstrate. It's always been by the promise and faith in the promise. From Abraham all the way to us. People who have faith are the children of Abraham. Look at verse 14. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. There's no need for a promise if it's by works. The example of Abraham shows us that God made promises to Abraham that Abraham was incapable of securing in his own power. He was Promised to be heir of the world and that requires offspring he was a hundred years old and his wife sarah was barren there was nothing he could do to make the promise a reality he had to trust god completely to bring these promises the promises that god made to him to fruition it had to be a miracle and it was god came through god gave them a son isaac it was, it was such a miraculous, strange thing that happened. They named him Isaac, which means laughter. They were just laughing for joy at this great uh, gift that they had been given from God when they were, they were powerless to have a child. Now, see, this did not come about, this birth of Isaac, because Abraham and Sarah went to the doctor or that they had some medical procedures done and able to... They didn't have that kind of technology, and and they didn't have this child because they just got lucky. No, it was a miracle. It was a gift from God. It was all of grace. And verse 16 says, "...that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace." Same is true of us. Justification from God is not something that you can secure through your own efforts. It's a gift from God received by faith. There's no other way to receive it. You can't secure it through your works. It must be trusting God to give it to you. Only by faith. Faith is 100% necessary. Now, let us look at how Abraham practiced faith and learn from his example, the practice of faith. Now, as we look at Abraham and his faith, we see that his faith was a reasonable faith. It wasn't blind faith. It wasn't irrational faith. It was a reasonable faith. Many critics today come against people who are of faith and they say that they're irrational. They've checked their brains at the door. It's unreasonable, but that is not the case, especially in the case of Christianity. Abraham had been told by God that he should become the father of many nations, as it says there in verse 18. God came to him with promises. Chapter 12 of Genesis, chapter 15 of Genesis, chapter 17 of Genesis. God reiterates these promises To Abraham but Abraham Abraham had no faith in himself or Sarah he wasn't looking to himself well he did for a moment he tried to make those promises come true himself in Genesis 16 and you have the whole episode where he where he had a child by Hagar child Ishmael and now we're fighting in the Middle East because of that lack of faith on his part Abraham had no faith in his own ability to have a child he continued to believe God's promises even as the years rolled on he trusted God he trusted that God would fulfill his promises in his own time verse 19 he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body you know you might have might have looked at his own body and said I don't know that God's ever gonna do these things that he's promised because I can't I can't produce a child and Sarah can't bear a child He didn't weaken his faith when he considered these things because he was looking to God to fulfill those promises. His body was as good as dead, it says there. He was about 100 years old and when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, these things were no obstacles to faith for him. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. See, he he could have looked at himself and had unbelief in himself, which is what he did he had to look to God and believe God in his promises. He did not, uh, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So he didn't fall into unbelief because he knew that God was able to do exactly what God had promised After all, God is the one who, as it says in verse 17, gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. He knows that God is able to raise the dead. He knows that God, through his power, can speak and worlds are created. The universe comes into existence by by his powerful word. He knew God was able to do exactly what he had promised. And he also knew that God was faithful to his promises, that God was trustworthy. And these things bolstered his faith. He looked at the character and ability of God. Now the gospel, for us living today, is promise from God. It's a, it's a provision from God. We cannot make ourselves acceptable to God. That is unreasonable when we consider our inability to keep the law. How can we make ourselves acceptable to God? We can't. We must trust in the provisions God has made for us in Christ. We must place our faith squarely upon God, who is able to save sinners such as we are. And He is willing to save sinners such as we are. He has promised that anyone who calls upon His name would be saved. He has promised that if we come to him, he will not cast us aside, and he is faithful to his promises. Look at the quote on the front of the bulletin. Faith is believing or trusting a person, and its reasonableness depends on the reliability of the person being trusted. You know, people always want you to trust them. A lot of people you don't know want you to trust them. I get phone calls all the time of people Trying to sell me this or that, or they have a deal, you know. And you, you don't trust those people, or you're foolish if you do. There are people we know who have proven themselves to be untrustworthy. I encounter many people who come by the church looking for help. Uh, some are being truthful. Some are trying to take advantage. It's impossible for me to know. One from the other, unless I have a relationship with them already. But sometimes you know <laughs> by the things they say that this person is not to be trusted, and, and we act accordingly. See, you have to have, a, you have to look at someone and, and understand their trustworthiness in order to put your faith in them. It is always reasonable to trust the trustworthy. And there is nobody more trustworthy than God, as Abraham knew. And as we are privileged to know more confidently than Abraham because we live after the death and resurrection of Jesus through which God has fully disclosed himself and his dependability. I love that quote from John Stott. I think that's very powerful. See, Abraham knew that God could keep his promises because of his power, and he knew that God would keep his promises because of his faithfulness now what about us what about you are you practicing faith or are you trying to earn god's favor through your behaviors are you practicing works as a means of salvation are you looking to christ to save you or are you looking to yourself to save you to save you It's easy for us to say we're looking to Christ, but then behave and think, especially think, as if our acceptance with God is based squarely upon our performance. Listen, my friends, we fall short every single day. We are sinners. Don't underestimate the power of sin, but continue to run to Christ. He is the only provision for us. We mess up day after day, all of us, we must have Christ, or we're lost. It's the only way. We must put our faith in his performance, his perfect record, his sacrifice for our sins. Now, the performance, the works flow out of that, out of love and gratitude for this free gift that he gives us. That's what should fuel our obedience, not trying to make God like me through doing, the, doing things to earn his favor. We would never earn his favor if that's the... the the tact we use. Now, finally, the object of faith, and that brings us to it. We're talking about the object of our faith here. We're talking about Christ. He points it from Abraham squarely to us in the final two, three verses here. The words "It was counted to him" were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. What what great news that is! It's not just a he's not just telling us a story about Abraham. He's telling us the story of Abraham because it applies to us as well. It will be counted to us. That is, what will be counted to us? The righteousness by faith. We will be credited with righteousness. Who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You see, what are we putting our faith in? We're putting our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus These things show God's ability and His faithfulness. He has done something about our sin problem. He has done something about our death problem. He has done it. He did all the work. He was delivered up for our transgressions, the sinless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He conquered sin and death by rising from the dead because it was impossible for death to hold him because he was sinless. He, death comes to us because of sin. sin. Sin entered the world and death came with it. But when you encounter the sinless Son of God walking the face of the earth, who, who n- never, uh, never sinned in thought, word, or deed all of his days, when death took hold of him because of our sin, he was vindicated. He was r- raised from the dead. Death couldn't keep him because he was sinless. Death had no claim on Jesus. He is our Savior. Where there is no sin, there is no death. The grave had no right to hang on to Jesus, so he rose up for us for our justification. He is our Savior. We lean on him. He's the object of our faith. So the question today is, do you believe in him? Do you believe the promises that he has made? Do you believe what he has secured for us in his life, in his death, in his resurrection? Are you putting your faith in the promises, the gospel promises? Do you believe that all who come to him, he won't cast away? Do you believe that if you call upon his name, he will save you? As we come to him today at the Lord's table... It points us to Christ. It points us to the object of our faith. We talk about the sacrament uh, being a a sign and a seal, a sign that points us to something. It's pointing us to what Christ has done for us. It points us to the object of our faith. It doesn't doesn't point us back to ourselves. He's telling us to do this in remembrance of, of me. Remember Christ. Put your faith squarely upon Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the great lessons that uh, we have here in, in the book of Romans. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to discern how we might live our lives as if our righteousness came through our performance. Forgive us for that, Lord, and help us to have a faith in what you have done for us. Help us to recognize our sinfulness so that we would be humbled and that we, would, that we would come to you. And Lord, we pray that you would humble us so that we wouldn't be hypocritical or self-righteous or look down uh, at other people as we compare our, compare our performances with other people. Lord, we pray that indeed Christ would be all and all to us. We pray in his name. Amen.